If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In the Details. I am so happy to be back with you today. I have been moving in the past couple of weeks and have been a little bit disconnected, but finally set up in the new office and excited for this conversation with my guest today, Shabnam Magharbi. Thank you so much for being here, Shabnam. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. And I totally get feeling like your life is in a bit of chaos and needing to reset. I'm back from a family vacation and looking at my inbox thinking, wow. Yes. Life continues to happen. I mean, you all can't see my background, but there's a little bit of boxes and maybe a dresser being made and all of that. But you know what? We still show up and we take each day as it is. And actually, one of the reasons I'm excited for this conversation is because you have worn so many hats and you wear so many hats. So you're a speaker, author, journalist, co-founder and past CEO of Soul Pancake, an entertainment company I have been a big fan of. Anybody knows Kid President? That came out of Soul Pancake. <laughs> yes, and it would, did. Yes. And I would actually love to start there because I know that that venture was very special to you. It was something that you know was implanted in your heart that all of a sudden, I mean, it, through your determination and also vision alongside another human who had a similar vision and you guys are on opposite sides of the world. I'm going to let you tell the story, but how did Soul Pancake come to be and what role did you play in that? Yeah. Soul Pancake uh, feels to me like the culmination of who I am as a person (laughs) embodied in the form of a company, but it was almost accidental how I got involved in it. So I am a journalist. I worked as a journalist for almost a decade. I studied it. I actually got a master's degree in communication and my thesis uh, for my master's degree was about how media needs to elevate big philosophical conversations about who we are and what we are. And this is going to be super academic, but uh, you know, the Greek philosophers reflected on the nature of man and the nature of society. And it was their ideas that input how society was formed and the laws of the times. And that's changed for us, right? Yes. It's of industry and politicians and all these other people who influence it. So I said, oh, you know, there needs to be platforms for big philosophical ideas to influence us in meaningful and, and entertaining ways. Write this thesis, fast forward, you know, seven years later, I'm working as a journalist in Washington, D.C., and I hear this actor uh, named Rain Wilson, and he's, you know, the guy who played Dwight Schrute in The Office. So if you're a fan of The Office, you know who Rain is. But he was, he's this famous actor on a show I did not watch, and he's doing this NPR interview, and he's talking about this platform he wants to start to make big philosophical ideas cool and relevant again. And I had this I almost slammed my like I slammed on the brakes in my car as I'm driving down Connecticut Avenue in DC and I was like, "Wait a minute. That was my idea. <laughs> those are my words. That was those were my words. I said that like 7 years ago. I was like, "Did he get into my parents' garage?" With yeah. <laughs> So, so anyways, long story short, I felt like I had to be part of this venture. I didn't know anything about it or what he was doing, but I was like, I really drawn to this underlying mission. And so I reached out to everyone I knew in LA and eventually got connected with Rain and his team. And, uh, and yeah, I get on a call with them. I said, listen, I do content. I do storytelling. I'm a journalist. I would love to help in some capacity. And they said, well, we have great technology. We've built this website with all these bells and whistles, but we actually 
don't have any content. And actually we're going on the Oprah podcast in like three weeks and we would love to have some content on the site. And I was like, you're going live in three weeks with no content. So I rolled up my sleeves. I said, you know what? I will do it um, in exchange for equity in the company. I will build out your content strategy. And I did. And in three weeks, I didn't sleep. I did it as my side hustle. I called in favors from every writer, videographer, producer that I knew. And I populated that site with content and eventually, you know, that we were off to the three race. weeks job. Nom, I'm my jaw dropped. They can't see our listeners can't see it, but yeah, what it was bananas. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep for three weeks. I don't even know how I did it. I look back at that now and I'm like, I think I was like possessed by some yes. <laughs> external being to, to get through those three weeks. But we did, we got, we got the site launched. I did it with very little money, just calling in favors, resources, wow. got it launched. We had probably, we had probably three weeks deep of content, mm. you know, packed in for the launch of the site and then obviously had a churn and a process in place. And so I went from, you know, running content to being essentially COO of the company running operations. And then I eventually quit my job, moved to LA and took over as CEO and, uh, you know, grew from there. Wow. Incredible. I remember when I first heard about Soul Pancake, what drew me in was the company mission to create inspiring content about the human experience. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just the good parts of human experience. It was all parts of human experience. And I found through my story, because when I suddenly became a widow, I felt very, very isolated. And it was by sharing my experience and losing my husband, connecting with others who had similar tragedy, maybe not the same trauma, but losing someone significant, their spouse. And so as I was connecting through individuals, regardless of how different our stories were, I remember feeling somewhat, I, I wouldn't say better, but comforted knowing that I was sharing an experience with a complete stranger, but we were connected through that. And that's what I found. Even when I looked at some of the content, much of which is positive at soul pancake, but also the ones that kind of talked about the hard parts and there's a fine balance with that. How do you think you all were able to successfully find that balance of talking about the hard parts of our human experience with a more uplifting and and maybe joyful tone. Yeah. You know, when we set out, we wanted to just explore the full human experience and what connects us, what makes us more similar than we are different. What are the universal threads? You know, we all seek love and connection and belonging. Like how do we find those and tell those stories? And I think what we found is that there are very universal things that are hard, like death, like cancer, like, you know, racial and social injustice. There are things that feel universal, but they're also really hard. So we tried, our, our mantra was always to find hope in even the darkest moments to find light in the darkness. And that was how we thought about every story that we put together. So when we were you know, interviewing people who were going to die in two months from cancer, it was always about finding the light and the hope in their story, in the impact they had on their family, their community. How do we actually draw out the hopeful elements of it? Because, you know, without hope, hope is very depleted today. Hope is a depleted resource. There's no limit to how much hope you can have. And yet it is very depleted in today's world. And yes. so we very much so felt it was our mission to think about how do we always find the light and the hope in even the darkest stories? Because it's only through feeling that sense of hope that you actually can be inspired to create change or see you know, the end of the tunnel, feel connection to other people who've had a similar experience. You just can't 
get there with cynicism or realism. It's hope that fuels that. And so that was the underlying ethos of what we tried to capture, even when we were showing the dark and hard parts of life. Yes. I remember I watched a talk that you did and you said something like, you can't ignore the negative, but you can engage with it through a lens of hope or kindness or joy. And that is absolutely a a pillar of my work and how I live, because I think nowadays is more people do want to be healthier and more positive because we are just drained by all the negatives. So I do see this like influx of positive conversations, which is fantastic, but there is a fine line where, and people talk about this and have labeled it toxic positivity, where you don't acknowledge the hard parts because you're just telling people to, you know, chin up buttercup, you know, push through it. And and honestly, I, I feel like that what it does is it ignores the very normal parts of being a human, the complex emotions that come with living this kind of life. So that pulled me in when you said it's not about ignoring the negative, it's about reframing it. So you also talk about how you encourage people to tackle those problems with joy or through the lens of hope. So how do you do that? How do you personally tackle your problems with a lens of kindness or joy? Like, what does that look like for you? Well, it's been a very long and hard process because I think that I am naturally more of an Eeyore than a Tigger. I don't think that I'm naturally the most, you know, optimistic or positive person in the world. I've had to work really hard at it. And that's something that I think people often overlook. They think, oh, well, I have to be born. People are just natural born optimists or naturally born joyful. And I think that is absolutely not true. And there's a lot of science behind it. So, you know, the, the whole field of positive psychology is around how there are hundreds of tools that are available at our disposal to help essentially reshape the way our synapses fire in our brains so that we can look at things with a different perspective. And that's all it is. It's just, you know, tools to help shift your perspective. So personally, I have a daily, um, I'm a person of faith. So I have a daily prayer practice. Some people have a daily meditation ritual, but the idea of stillness and presence and how do you find that in your life? For me, it's prayer. It's the conversation I have with God and a way to work through things and process things. Um, I have a gratitude practice. So I have a daily gratitude practice. And uh, I think that that's really powerful. Gratitude is one of the most powerful tools we have at our disposal to harness those tools of positive psychology. You know, this idea of joy, we call it joy, but it's really, that's what it is. It's, it's tool, it's tools for positive psychology. And I also am a big believer in self-compassion, you know, as a high performer, I'm super type A, I'm super driven. I'm ambitious. I'm a firstborn child child of immigrants, first female to go to college in my family. Like I have all the like markers, I'm a Capricorn, all the markers (laughs) of like high achieving, overachieving type A. So, um, so as someone like that, I'm very hard on myself. Mm -hmm. So when I have employees who are struggling to learn a new role or, you know, challenged by a situation at work, I have so much compassion and empathy for them. I'm like, okay, well, let's figure out how to get you training. Let's figure out how to work on your development. But when it comes to myself, if I'm unable to deliver or I struggling with something, I have no compassion. I'm like, isn't that crazy? It's crazy. And I don't know what it is that, you know, like this pairing of like overachievement or ambition is paired with a, a level of perfectionism and a lack of forgiveness for yourself if you make mistakes or have difficulty. Mm-hmm. And so I am a big believer and it's something I struggle with on a daily mm-hmm. basis. 
but the idea of having uh, more compassion for myself and giving myself the empathy that I would naturally bestow on my son or an employee or a family member or a friend who was struggling, I have a hard time giving to myself. And so that's been a lifelong, lifelong, Mm -hmm. you know, pursuit of mine. So those are the ways that I try to bring more joy, hope, positive psychology into my own life. I found that my confidence, so I didn't know what I was doing when I was doing it. I was really in survival mode. And so I started training my brain and I did not know that this is the thing that I didn't even, I didn't know the terms growth mindset. I had never practiced mindfulness. I didn't hear a positive psychology. And then once I started practicing this and I started to explore what is this thing that's happening to me, that's when I started diving into the great works of people like Sean Acor and and Adam Mm -hmm. Grant and the research that they pull for. And honestly, that propelled me into being more disciplined about these practices because of the science that backs it. And I really, really hope, I mean, this is my, I feel like this is part of my purpose. One of the things that you and I talked about and we share is our identity with purpose and that our purpose isn't just tied to our work. So that's why I say this is just one piece of it. We'll dive more into that together, but I do recognize that because the science is there, but not many people are exposed to the science, you know, not many people are really searching for it. I think we're, I feel very grateful to live in a time where mindfulness is now coming into the center of many conversations as it pertains to well-being and also work and leadership. And so now I think that positive psychology is going to get the exposure that it needs for more people to realize, wait, and use the tools that are available for us. They are out there. It's just, we need to have more of these conversations so that people know. And thank you for saying you weren't naturally born an optimist, you know, that you, (laughs) because that's a big takeaway of positive psychology is that you can harness the power of grit and resilience or joy and gratitude. Gratitude is a great proactive approach. Like that's Mm -hmm. a, the more you practice gratitude, the easier it is to tap into it when you're highly stressed and overwhelmed. Very true. These are things that we can actually use to rewire our belief system, our minds, all of that good stuff. But it doesn't come at the, you know, neglect and, and ignoring the negative. It actually helps you to see that you have infinite room inside of you to experience all of that. And I think people underestimate how powerful these tools can be. They're very practical. They're very practical. They're very easy to implement. And if you can harness the discipline to do it consistently, it really truly does change your perspective. And I, as someone who appreciates things that are practical and I can check off a to-do list, right? (laughs) I I very much so appreciate the practical science-based nature of it. I do think that the positivity, you know, space has been co-opted a little to your point by people who are like, just look on the bright side. It doesn't, you know, encompass the full scope of, of human, uh, of the human condition. And also I feel like it's a little like, uh, it's, it's a little airy, hippy dippy, airy fairy, you know, it's, oh, you know, gratitude for the universe and let it into your heart. And, and as someone who is not wired that way, who likes to understand systems and ba- the research and science and things that are practical and doable, I have actually found so much comfort in the fact that there is science and research behind all of this. Exactly. Exactly. The other thing that I think is interesting that you said around purpose, um, because I so believe this, I have a mentor, a friend of mine who, um, 
told me once that, you know, screw passion, excuse the language, Mm -hmm. but like screw passion, (laughs) finding a job, that's a useless piece of advice that people give you when you're in high school, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. Instead, focus on figuring out what you stand for, what's important to you. So what are your values? And then figure out what you're good at. Like, what are your skills? Like, are you an excellent writer? Are you an excellent communicator? Are you, do you have high executive function? Like, what are your skills? And then find ways to just be useful and feel needed, feel of service with those skills. Because our, you know, monkey brains, our primitive monkey brains are very much so driven from feeling needed and useful. It's why when they do, you know, those studies on universal basic income, where they provide a minimum income for people in villages and communities, it raises everyone out of poverty and it gives everyone an elevation in their socioeconomic status. And yet people are dissatisfied. Why? Mm. Because if they don't pair universal basic income with community projects like, you know, building a well for their neighborhood or starting a school class and volunteering to teach classes to children, if they don't pair it with a way for people to feel useful and needed in their community, then it all falls apart. And so all of us sitting here thinking, but what's my passion? What career do I need to pursue? How much success, et cetera? We're missing the element of what makes me feel useful and needed that actually allows my skills to line up with what I stand for. Yes. Now, this is one of the reasons why we're having a lot of conversation, more conversation nowadays about how do you bring purpose into the workplace? Because Mm -hmm. people still need a job, right? You have to pay your bills. And so you may not find that the job that you have is aligned with your passion. It may not be. And I feel very fortunate that I am. I know that's a privilege for you to be able to do work that you love and it's aligned with your purpose and your passion. That feels great. But I do think that there is still an opportunity to feel connected to something greater than you, even if your job isn't a hundred percent, this passion project. And one of the ways, Agreed. To, right, right. Agreed. So, so one of the ways to do that, because I know we're going to have some listeners who may not be in the space of entrepreneur or even in an environment that's entrepreneurial, where you may be in a startup. And that is where you kind of get to flex your creativity and growth minds and, and you explore, okay, what do I like? What is my my passion? How can I contribute? If that isn't you, dear listener, one of the ways that you can still find this fulfillment that Shabnam is talking about is when you connect your contribution to the overall goal of the organization. And if you can see how the way that you contribute is helping to advance, not just the organization, I'm not saying, you know, just what is the widget that you all create, but how does that widget serve the world? Because you are a part of the organization that is helping to bring that to the world and people who need it. But also, this is what I would add a little asterisk, find other ways to fulfill what really sets your soul on fire. Now, you may have heard me mention earlier, our guest here, Shabnam, is the former CEO of Soul Pancake. And I know that that was, that's part of your legacy. It will always be part of your legacy, but you decided to step away. You decided to take a sabbatical. I'm a huge supporter of sabbaticals. (laughs) Especially because we've worked so hard for Mm -hmm. decades. Like at some point you need to take a break, right? But, you know, Shabnam, I know you have a lot of wisdom to offer because you took a big leap by leaving Soul Pancake. And you did that not because you had something else set up, but you knew that you just needed to step away. And so I'd love for you, you know, as much as you're willing to share, I know that it's very vulnerable to talk about such a big transition, but um, it sounds like there was a lot of growth and thought too, you know, why do I need to step away? And and now what am I doing next? So kind of walk us through what that was like. 
Yeah, it's uh it's interesting when you uh, when you start your own company. For those of the listeners who are entrepreneurs, you know that it becomes a twenty four seven you know enterprise, and it consumes you thinking about this baby that you've built and and are building and are growing. And uh, you know, I spent more than a decade building and growing this company. Um, after eight years, we sold it. I spent another three years you know working for our parent company, running this Soul Pancake as a division of it. And I started to I started to feel um, less enthusiasm about running the business on a day to day basis, and that paired with the fact that it Soul Pancake had become so much a part of my identity that I couldn't even think anymore about well who am I without Soul Pancake right like what what would I do if I didn't have Soul Pancake and what would my life be like if I wasn't the CEO of Soul Pancake and that felt like a really scary thought. It felt um, it felt terrifying to think about what would I be without this. Like, am I am I even, do I even matter without this this company? And I felt that I was headed towards complacency of just being the CEO of Soul Pancake forever, and that wasn't a healthy place to be in. And so I said, you know what? I'm exhausted. I've worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week for more than a decade. I built this thing. It was successful. I sold it, but I need a break. I need a mental reset and refresh. I need to find ways to get excited about things again to feel like, who am I? What's my identity without this company? And so I decided to take this break. It was the scariest thing I've ever done to say, okay, I'm stepping into a giant void, not knowing anything that's happening. Oh, and there's a global pandemic. So Oh, this happened during the pandemic. Yeah. So I, I mean, I know how privileged and lucky am I that I was able to take the time off while the whole world was terrified and scared and not sure what was coming next. And I had, you know, been saving and like for this time off, but um, I was very fortunate and I was able to do it. And I think there's two things that I really learned from it. You know, one is how important rest is for our brains, mm-hmm. you know, especially for those of us who work in creative communication fields, rest and recovery allows us to sometimes see things, make connections that we weren't able to make before because our minds were so clouded by all of the things on our to-do list and all the things we had to do. And so it's been a very interesting uh, thing to see me go from you know the person who has worked every day of her life since she was 16 mm-hmm. to taking an entire year off where I didn't know what was happening next and pushing through moments. I mean, I remember three months in, I was taking a shower and I was standing in the shower at like three in the afternoon being like, what am I doing with my life? I'm taking a shower at 3 p.m. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I need to go back to work. And I had to sit with that and say, okay, why am I so connected to having to have a job to have value? Like, why am I, why is that so intrinsically connected? And so it took some time to work through those strong emotions and strong feelings, you know, and get to a place where it's like, no, actually, I have intrinsic value not tied to my job, not tied to the work that I'm doing, not tied to some output I'm putting out in the world, but just because I am a human with a a soul and a heart. And I have, you know, people who love me and support me and, and care for me. And so it took me a while to get there. So that was one really important outcome of the time off. The second thing that I think was really important is it gave me a real sense of clarity because I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, when were the parts of my career that I felt the most alive? When were the parts of my career that I felt the most like I was doing work that aligned with what I stood for and my values? 
And so it was a Which, really sorry good, to interrupt, but that yes. is a really good starting point for someone who feels like they are unfulfilled by their work. If you can just pay attention to even in your work day, the moments when you feel most alive or the most energy, and then you can start to follow that, that is a very good indicator of what sets your soul on fire and can help to enhance those gifts that are very natural to your fingerprint. Totally. I sometimes call it like, when do you feel, um, uh, so in the zone that you forget that you haven't peed for eight hours, yeah. right? Like, yeah, like totally. a good indicator. I, right. I haven't gone to bed for eight hours. And I didn't even notice yes. Like you're so in the zone. And it's those moments that you feel that fire, that fuel, that, you know, burn that, um, I think Shonda Rhimes calls it the hum of, you know, what's happening. And so it was really interesting to sit and reflect on when are the times that I felt the most alive, the most excited, the most in the zone, the most energized in doing the work. And then I also thought a lot, frankly, about, you know, at the end of the day, we're all informed by our childhoods, our upbringing, like the values that shaped us as we became adults. Because once your brain hits, you know, 25, like the inputs of new things decrease it significantly. And so a lot of our childhood and upbringing informs the things that are values for us now, even though we find different ways to express them and grow and, you know, have a growth mindset and push them. But um, I started to think a lot about what are the things that, you know, the, the child in me, the teenager in me would be most proud of in my life. And that was also really interesting because it wasn't what I thought it would be. It wasn't, Mm. you know, it wasn't, oh, I sold my company and look, I'm a successful entrepreneur. It was the early days of making videos that you know, meaningfully impacted people in the comments they were writing about how it changed their lives or the fact that I'm able to help, you know, with supporting my parents, you know, as they're getting older. And, right. So I, I went back to the things that I was like, oh, interesting. The things that I'm, I think I'm most proud of in my life that, you know, check a box or go on my resume are not actually the things that I think my, you know, 10 year old or 12 year old self would be most proud of. And so that was also an interesting reframe. Mm -hmm. So I do think it was really important and vitally powerful to take the time off. And it was really hard. It was Mm -hmm. scary to do. There were a lot of moments where I was like, what am I doing with my life? I need to go back to work and pushing through that actually got me to a place where I felt a lot more content with who I am. Um, especially as I start to think about what's the next chapter of my career, mm-hmm. I have a lot more focus and clarity around what I do and what I don't want to do. Yes. I love that. And here's the thing. We spend so much time working and to your point, often from a very young age, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you start mowing lawns or, or babysitting, or I don't know, do they pass out newspapers anymore? Probably not, but you know, <laughs> <Probably not. laughs> are there paper routes? I don't know. I don't know. But the point is, is we spend so much of our life working and that is not all that life is. No. So it is a, um, a little bit of reframing how we value certain activities in our life you know? And and I remember when I was starting uh, this company, part of where I felt like, oh, I was measuring my success was, oh, how many times am I getting booked to speak? How many workshops am I doing? And early on, guess what? I wasn't doing a lot, you know, I was still trying to build my presence. And so because the success wasn't matching what I thought was the most valuable uh, determining factor, if you will, then I started to question, wait, but am I 
And then there is this moment when I realized that no, because I've created a life where I can be there for my son as a single mom, I have the freedom and flexibility to show up for him whenever he needs to. And that's actually most important to me. And so it's once you reframe, I think your priorities, then it's not about work being in the center of it. It's actually just one component of full life that hopefully is your idea of success. Um, have you ever done the, but why exercise? No. So there's this exercise that people often do when they're talking about purpose or values or reframing all of this. And it basically says, you know, like, why do you do what you do? Right. Mm -hmm. And you answer this question of why you do what you do. And then you answer some more questions. The second question is why the third question is why yeah. the fourth question is why yeah. the fifth question is why. And by the time you get to the fifth why, you're really digging into values, right? Mm. You're drinking into priorities. So, you know, why do you do what I do? Well, I need to have a job and I need to pay the bills or I want to be successful. But then once you start getting into the whys, you get to your point, which is I want to be there for my son. Right? Yes. I'm doing this because I want to be there for my son. And so I do think that it's a valuable, it's a valuable exercise and it gets you to what you're describing, which is like, how do you think about priorities and values and, yeah. and reframing the decisions that you yeah. make. Yes. Yes. Well, now that you've had some time and some space and you've built rest and that is so yes. important folks. I mean, for us to now understand how important it is to take care of ourselves, which I do think was a very good um, shock to our systems through the pandemic was like, Oh wait, we need to reframe how we prioritize wellness, yeah. <laughs> not just at home, but at work too. That That's great. Because one of the things that came up is we are always on the brink of burnout because we drive ourselves so much and we don't build rest into how we operate. Now we've seen a lot of companies, you know, at the forefront of that, which is great because that helps that, you know, we talk about being high performers, but the sustainability piece of a high performer is not going to be that long if you don't build rest into it. So I love to see this shift. So now that it's actually interesting that you say this because I'm actually consulting right now for an entertainment company that uh, focuses on athlete stories more than anything. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the world's best athletes, right, the like peak performers in their sport, the gods amongst men yeah. um, in <laughs> athletics, they actually focus on kind of five areas, right? So yes, they focus on movement. Mm -hmm. Yes, they focus on diet and nutrition, right? But they also have rest and recovery built into their exercise routines, right? Like they have to rest and give their muscles time to recoup. They'd focus a lot on um, um, strong relationships, whether that's with their parents or their teammates or their coach, because they know that they're only as good as the people around them. And then the last thing that they do is they think about mindfulness, right? Like so many athletes don't in prepping for a game work out or drink a protein shake. No, they go for a walk. They do a meditation. They, they visualize. Yeah. They visualize. It's all about the mindset. Mm -hmm. And so I actually think it's been really interesting to see the way that the athlete cycle mm -hmm. works like these, you know, like I said, gods amongst men. Yeah, the elite performers, the elite performers, the things that they focus on as you know, ordinary people who are not, you know, elite athletes, we oftentimes don't think about those same qualities. We think exactly. you've got to constantly grind and work and work. And we forget about rest. We forget about relationships. We forget about mindfulness and mindset. Yeah. So yes. I think 
really interesting that uh, you brought that up. Absolutely. Well, it's because this is one of the areas that I also focus on because they have mental performance consultants who teach these elite athletes how to get in the zone, how to overcome stress, how to rest, build rest into their training. But like, how come the average mom can't have that? Like, why aren't we talking about mental performance? Because I need that too. I need that exactly. too. And this is what we're talking about with having the tools and having more conversation and normalizing the conversation around this. So you've come through, you know, you have at least a, a huge mark of legacy through Soul Pancake, your work there. You decided to take the sabbatical to rest, to reset, to see where you want to go. What's next? <laughs> That's a great question. So, um, <laughs> where, I'll, and, and I will ask it slightly different. Where do you feel drawn? Yeah. So I have done a lot of work and reflection on what matters to me and what's important. And I think there's three things that I want in the next chapter of my career. One is that, you know, I want to stay in the storytelling space, uh, media, entertainment, um, and particularly storytelling tied with a mission, um, because I feel like that's very true to who I am. And I also think that, you know, the storytellers shape society. They shape our vision for what can be. And I think it's a really powerful responsibility to be a, a storyteller in, in our world. And so I am very much so drawn to that as um, the space I want to continue to work in. The second is that I want um, better work-life balance. I think that, you know, I worked a lot for 12 years and now I have an almost two-year-old and, you know, trying for a second and I'm a late in life mom. And I have realized just how much time I didn't spend with family and friends for more than a decade. And I want better work-life balance in what I do next. Um, and the third is that I believe my, I genuinely believe my purpose in life is to um, spread hope, to give people hope, because like I said, I think hope is depleted. I think that, that um, you know, we're really challenged right now. The world is very hard. It's messy pandemic, war in Ukraine, Roe versus Wade. It just feels like one after another um, every day where we're bombarded with things that challenge our souls to try to find hope or any pathway out. And yet the stories are out there. And I think if I can find ways to bridge my passion for storytelling and my belief that hope is this unlimited resource that we just have to tap into to harness the potential of, to bring more joy into our lives, to be able to change our perspectives, to be able to have resilience and grit when we face things. I feel like I need to be able to do that on a daily basis. So, you know, right now I'm consulting for a couple different companies, but I think the next chapter of my career has to check those boxes. Yes. Oh, what clarity you have after this time of reset. <laughs> yeah. That's a beautiful gift. Yeah. Shabnam, thank you so much for being with us today. I wish you so much success and all these well wishes for the next chapter in your career. I have no doubt that whatever it is, it is going to be a major blessing to this world. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me, Karen. I hope it was uh, at least somewhat interesting. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I feel like a lot of our listeners, especially as we come through different stages and I love how you can speak so confidently about being in the space of transition because it's a very scary and uncertain space. It but is. if you use that time to just become better, 
and to discover. You talked a lot about going deeper and asking yourself some questions when something was awakened inside of you, whether it felt good or bad. It's like we don't give ourselves enough time to build that relationship with ourselves so much with other people. Um, but I know that our listeners got a lot of great tips from whether they're in transition or not. I know they got a lot of great gems from this conversation. So again, thank you so much for being here. If someone does want to connect with you and they want to learn more about how they can build momentum of positivity around them or, or projects you're working on, how should they connect with you? Uh, they can go to my website, shabnam.live. Great. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much, friend. Thanks for hanging out with us again on another episode of In the Details with Karen Allen. We will see you in the next episode. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.